Welcome to One Interview, One World. This is Lainey Kay, and this is a show about interviewing people from all walks of life because everyone has a story to share and we can all learn from each other. I hope you enjoy listening. Um, if I go back, I remember writing things down of when he started to say his first words, um, typical times, about a year. But then by the age of two, he had lost his words. He probably, you know, they go to the doctor and they say, how many words does he have? And they check off the list and you're like, well, by the way, I guess, you know what? He doesn't really say much of anything. But either you fall into autism disorder or you fall into emotional behavioral disorder and everything underneath. And so the school kind of puts you in a box and that allows you to get services. And for our family, well, for me and my husband, that was a really hard time. Yeah, I'm sure it's emotional. Because you don't want your child to have something wrong with them. But you also want them to get everything they need. Today, I'm with Trisha Wallace, who is a wife and mother of three beautiful boys, her youngest being diagnosed on the autism spectrum. She is also a board-certified doctor in female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgery, as well as being a yoga teacher. We are going to learn more about her and her family along the lines of having a child with autism. All right, so Trisha, tell me a little bit of background about you and your family. I'm the oldest of six, so steps and halves, and I have a very large, close-knit Italian family. So I grew up with the concept of family is first, and all my cousins were our first friends, and I'm still very close with my family. In fact, my sister is my best friend. So my aunt was my maid of honor. So I have a very close sense of family and that's an Italian thing as well. Um, my parents passed away very young from cancer and so I will say that that shaped my view of the world and how you try to hold on to things that perhaps are beyond your control which comes in later when of course Maxim got his diagnosis. Um, but then family really was supportive in that aspect. So I would say again, fostering a home of family and, and what that means is really important to us in my immediate family. So I've been married to my husband, Ted, for 25 years come July. And we waited to have our children till I was out of medical school. Uh, on purpose, it was just not the right time and uh, I have I had my first son in residency, he's 17, um, very outgoing, beautiful, creative, big brother, uh, sweet soul, and my middle son is 15 and he's very analytical and witty and smart. And then we had a break and we had Maxim and I was 39 when Maxim was born. Um, and actually my pregnancy with Maxim was pretty uncomplicated. Um, I was considered advanced maternal age. After 35, that's what you're considered. I did have an amniocentesis with Maxim, and um, those all came out you know, normal because there are no ways to test for autism at this point genetically. Um, and my birth with Maxim was very easy, although Maxim did have not only a cord around his neck, which one of my other kids did have that too, um, but he had a true knot 
in his cord. So a true knot means that when he was small enough in utero, floating around, that he actually did a loop-de-loop and his umbilical cord had a knot in it probably for half the pregnancy, if not more. Wow. And interestingly enough, he came out without any signs of distress. Um, he wasn't blue, he didn't require extra oxygen, and no, that's not the reason he has autism. But those are kind of scary things because those are probably the causes of stillbirth, really, is like knots and things like that. So he, um, you know, came out as a feisty, you know, beautiful <laughs> little kid. Biggest of the three. Really? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that funny? Because that sometimes happens. Yeah. Um, Maxim was a normal baby, very easy um, as far as feeding and meeting his motor milestones. He never showed any signs of delay in that. And if I go back, I kept a little bit of some journals. Um, if I go back, I remember writing things down of when he started to say his first words, um, typical times, about a year. But then by the age of two, he had lost his words. He probably, you know, they go to the doctor and they say, how many words does he have? And they check off the list and you're like, well, by the way, I guess, you know what? He doesn't really say much of anything. And having had two older brothers and a life that pretty much is right there at your fingertips, it didn't seem abnormal to us that he wasn't talking. Um, of course, now looking back and being around other two-year-olds, you realize that he definitely had delay in speech at the minimum. And so we were sent to speech therapy right away at the age of two. And he was diagnosed at that time with um, a moderate speech delay, which is um, expressive. But then it turns out as he got a little older, his receptive, so his ability to receive, interpret language and other cues was also delayed. So by the age of three, that's when you start to think about um, preschool and you get, you know, things may or may not be progressing as well. So he got an evaluation by the regional center, which is the, the center where most kids who have some sort of developmental delay or and I think even mental services goes through. And he, at that time, saw a neurologist and he was placed on, they didn't have the term autism spectrum disorder then. That was in 2009 when he was born. Sorry, not 2009. That would have been 2012-11-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12-12
And that came through our insurance, but that was recommended probably through speech and or the pediatrician. I think it all kind of happened at once. The regional center didn't pay for that at the time, although they will provide services for families depending on what their funding sources are. So at the time we had speech and then we had home one-to-one um, ABA therapy to help with tasks at home, like just even getting him to tell us what he needed um, at that time. So regional center was involved in some of that. Um, in fact, I think they did oversee some of that because they would re read the reports. Now, is that affiliated with the school district then? No, that's a county. So okay. every county has their own okay. center. And, and so what happens at the age of three or four when they're able to attend a school district that may offer some sort of preschool with services, depending on the need of the child and if they're getting other services through their insurance um, or the school district, if you will, um, regional center will pull back a little bit and allow those services to take over. But if you're not getting those services, then it's that child's right to ask for whatever they can through the regional uh, center. And that stays with them through their adulthood. And um, I need to make sure that I reestablish our relationship with them because it's not really clear when you're going through that transition that you keep that relationship going. So I have time to reestablish that, but I need to get it done because once they're adults and if they require any additional services, the regional center help, will help them with jobs, help them find housing. So it is that's a important. resource. Yeah, it's a For resource. the rest of their life? Or For the rest of their life. Okay, that's if good. If they carry that diagnosis. That's very good. Yeah. So um, once you're in a school district setting, they have to assign you into a category and it's usually by then the diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder was kind of I think it was officially out it may not have been but either you fall into autism disorder or you fall into emotional behavioral disorder and everything underneath and so the school kind of puts you in a box and that allows you to get services and for our family well for me and my husband that was a really hard time I'm sure it's emotional. Because you don't want your child to have something wrong with them. But you also want them to get everything they need. And so we struggled for a little bit, but it was like very obvious that if you don't learn, read, accept what's going on, your child is not going to um, develop properly or get the services. And it's very clear that it is very clear that children who get early intervention do much, much better. So we're lucky in that Maxim has had intervention um, since he was two. Yeah. So he's done well. When you noticed that, that he was, you know, it was the speech that was delayed, what, what are some of the common signs that a parent would notice? Right. That they would think something's a little off or that they should be aware of that. Sure. Well, when you go through the screening, and we still, every six months or so, maybe every year, we have to fill out this questionnaire, and it starts from birth. So, uh, you know, all the things that he, he did or did not do, and then I do it now for his age, and, and I'll do it through when he's a teenager to sort of see where he still requires services. But um, some things looking back that we noticed that he did do, of course, that we didn't know were perhaps signs of a child on the spectrum, um, he, he would get fixated on lights, he would stare at exit signs a lot, which was interesting. 
loud noises early on were hard for him. Um, loud voices. He cried when you sang happy birthday to him at his first birthday because we didn't know what was going on, like screaming. Aww. Um, motorcycles coming down the street, things like that. He, um, he, he wasn't a rocker, like a kid who rocked, but certainly some signs are, you know, children who cover their ears and rock and, and hit their heads on the wall. He did do a little bit of headbanging. Um, he definitely would tantrum and throw himself on the ground. Luckily, we, we, got, we had therapy in so early that we were able to really learn how to avoid tantrums. And in fact, I would recommend anybody to get some training about just what ABA is because any two-year-old or three-year-old, you can avoid tantrums just by learning how to kind of anticipate their needs. And it's, it was very interesting because you really could use that training for any kid. Um, so staring at the lights, loud noises, uh, loss of words, you know, had words, don't have them anymore. Um, not making eye contact okay. and not pointing to things. Okay. So apparently it's, it's normal for children to point with their index finger. And that is not something I would ever have noticed any of my kids doing, but he didn't point at anything. And he also didn't bring your attention to things like, oh, look at my toy or bring something over to you. Okay. So that was something that was interesting. Um, so those are some signs, early signs, you know, and then of course not meeting other milestones, whether it be language or um, a lot of kids on the spectrum don't sleep well. Maxim slept really well. So we didn't have that issue. Well, that's good. So it sounds like it's, it's not an easy thing to figure out. And I would guess some people may not even know until their child probably starts kindergarten or something. That's true, because if someone's subtle and just kind of muddling along, I think that a lot of families um, would probably not notice some of the things, especially if their kid does have language. So some of the other things, not knowing how to play properly, you know, um, Parallel play is a normal thing when you're really young, but then engaging in interactive play is something that kids should do when they're, you know, like five or six. And he still, at the age of nine and a half, is learning how to do true reciprocal play. You know, you, and, and that's practice. Everything is practice. You know, learning how to take turns in a game and waiting for someone's turn and not talking over them. You know, it just goes on and on and on. Yeah, that's... The social skills, I guess. Correct. Social skills is, is really, he goes to three hours of social class a week just to learn how to socialize. And they, they do all those things depending on their age. They teach him how to play games, how to not be a sore loser, how to not lose it if they happen to not win at a game or take their turn. All those things that a regular kid would also do, but the degree at which they react is really where they have to be taught mm -hmm. what, how, to, how and what to do. Mm -hmm. And they started doing that from like when they're very young, huh? So social, that's the neat thing now is social skills. They have it, I think the kids are young. They have, he's an older group now. And they have social groups for kids in their teens too. Teach them how to write a check, how to pay for a ticket at the movie theater. I mean, all those things that you take for granted. The thing with autism as, as they, this is the term that you hear, the, the saying here all the time is if you've met one child with autism, you have met one child with autism. Every kid is different and their requirements are different. So 
I, of course, now know Maxim's needs most of the time, but there are times I'm just trying to read him to figure out how I'm going to react. And sometimes I'll react sternly, and sometimes I'll react with zero words because he needs silence, and sometimes I have to react with really loving words. And that happens from a day-to-day basis. So that's where you know being in a school setting for him is challenging sometimes. Right, because... I would people don't know how to do that (laughs) I wouldn't either so just because we're talking about this we'll go back probably on some other things what to people who don't understand autism and you're dealing you're meeting an autistic child what what would you recommend or how would you deal with that situation or positive things to do and not things to do well again every kid is so different so you have to look to the Parents. The parents or uh-huh. the caregivers or the teachers. Um, a lot of kids don't like to be touched. Maxim is fine with touch unless he's in a bit of a tizzy and then sometimes he doesn't want to be touched. And he really will let you know that. But I would say in general, you know, loud noises and not touching, those aren't the things you're going to put out right away if you're going to meet a kid. Or even if there's a kid in a social group and you happen to see someone, you're like, oh, interesting. You know, we were at Legoland recently and... Here I am sitting with my child with autism at a table and we're all sitting there eating. And Maxim is completely, because he's been trained to sit at the table and he does well with his meal and then he gets up. Um, but there's this, there was this other little boy who was probably a year younger than him that was playing in the bushes. But he was literally diving into the bushes. So, it, and I, and Teddy and I know something's up with that kid. Nobody else might think, oh my God, that mom's letting their kid dive into the bushes. Normal kids don't completely immerse themselves probably into the bush. But this kid, that was his thing. And he was in and out, up and down and under the bushes. And we're thinking, you know, now we have a different awareness and a different sympathy for other parents whose kids have anything going on. Because, you know, we have the full spectrum of behaviors and some behaviors are really um, disruptive in a public place and for a long time I didn't want to go to the park because he doesn't know how to play with other kids anyways and it just was stressful I just had to watch him constantly the whole time and now he actually does pretty good with kids at the park for the most part you know strange kids kids, strangers kids he doesn't know yeah and he'll kind of try to jump in there and play with them in the end he's still trying to lead the play um, and they may not run after him and follow his lead, but at least he's engaging. So that's pretty cool. Um, so, you know, I would say look to the parents or the caregivers for lead. And and mostly listening is good and watching, mm-hmm. you know, at first. Yeah. And then talking to them. Like, I, I would just try to talk as normal as possible, mm-hmm. you know, and let, because I would say that the majority of children with autism probably can understand what you're saying I think that the their expression their language skills is so variable and obviously we've seen books and movies of kids who never talk but yet they can type out anything and everything that they feel and to me that's so fascinating that they can't their brain can't organize the information enough um, to then get it out in words but yet they can type their response to you so I think that's pretty fascinating you know and I remember Maxim had to use um, a system with um, pictures and I laminated and took pictures of every single thing in my house practically and in my cupboard 
and I would have boards and I would ask him what he, he had a book and he would pick what he needed or wanted before he could say the words. For Maxim, then we were able to associate the visual with the word and it turns out he's really visual and he probably memorizes things pretty quickly. Now his language is great and he reads like a maniac and can memorize the books. So um, that's kind of one of his gifts and finding what their gift is is always helpful. Right. They, you know, because everybody has something. Yeah. So what age did he kind of become verbal where he could communicate with you then? Well, I mean, I think we had words coming in at three once we got into therapy, but they were words. We had that, that book of pictures, um, gosh, probably through kindergarten. And then we started doing visual schedules. And so to this day, he still has somewhat of a schedule, but he doesn't have a visual schedule anymore. And we probably got rid of the visual schedule in, um, like in class that he would still have a visual schedule even in second and third grade because that's a nice way for the teacher to say, okay, you come into circle, then you do reading, then you do math, and, and they get somewhat stuck on the schedule. So a routine is super helpful every day, the same thing, the same food, everything is really helpful. That's really helpful uh, in making your life predictable and reducing on tantrums and then eventually you you're trying to allow them to have little blurps in the schedule so that they're not going to lose it. And that's really the way the whole life will be, is um, teaching them how to navigate unexpected things. Because if something's unexpected and they don't have something already hardwired as to how to react to that, then they would react in in a non-expected way. So the other thing we were taught is that they have to learn everything over and over again in different contexts because mm-hmm. they can't generalize very okay. well. They, and this is a generalization, right? But if I'm quiet in the library, that doesn't mean when I say use your quiet voice in a hospital that he knows what that means. It's so it, it's, it's an over and over thing mm-hmm. every time. Yeah. And then on the, the spectrum level, we... Will you touch on that, that there's there's certain levels in the autism spectrum? Yeah, I mean, I don't really know them very well. I just know that he's considered considered mild to moderate, or you could say he's high-functioning. You can okay. use it either way. Right. So you can say low-functioning to high-functioning, or you can say mild to moderate or moderate to severe. In the school district, they tend to group them as mild to moderate or moderate to severe, and that's how you are categorized, which allows you to get whichever classrooms you may be going into. In Maxim's case, um, he has not mainstreamed into a regular classroom, and so he has been in what's called special day class since he was in regular school, and that is not autism-specific, but most school districts will have autism specific special day class and those are for the more severe kids who really need the strict schedule and the one-on-one person to help keep them on task and I imagine as kids get older and I don't know this cutoff there's probably a cutoff where you're like well he's always going to probably be in this category for Maxim he's progressing really well so you know our hopes are that he will be independent as an adult, but you know, that's the fear right off the bat. Like, you know, am I, he's going to yeah. be ever independent. Yeah. 
Um, and so he is starting to mainstream a subject here and there. And academically, he's almost caught up when it comes to certain things. Um, writing is a bear, uh, although he you know, enjoys reading the writing. And I think writing is not fun for most kids at this point, but there's a lot of writing required in school that you don't really think about. Um, so that's kind of where we're at. So he's considered mild to moderate um, or high functioning, depending on the day. So what type of children then are in the classroom environment that he's in? So not all of them have autism, okay. and I'm not allowed to ask that they have. Okay. So I can't tell you. But certainly in his class, you could have just some learning disabilities. Um, I know there's a couple kids with autism in there, one of them who um, wears a headset because the noise is too much for him, and um, who doesn't quite get the rules as much. Although he, you know, is not considered severe, so he's in that classroom setting. And interestingly enough, Maxim sometimes is very challenged by children who are, are more severe than him, because he now has that understanding of I do need to I do need to follow the rules. Yeah. And and so and so when that kid's not following the rules, he has a really hard time with that. And it, it's not like an OCD thing, although Maxim can have some rigidity. This year we've had much less of that, which is nice um, because we've had some really rough years in the in the winter where he goes through this really rigid phase and it's very difficult. Um, so there's you know there could be kids with Down syndrome in that class. There could be kids with it's a range. Okay. Uh, and I don't know who has what. I know the one kid because the mom and I talk about it. Yeah, yeah. And and then there's generally aids in there too, so it isn't just a teacher. Correct. There's aides with the children too. Right, and so in public school, I mean, in a way, they they do get a lot of services, you know, and you do have to, it's better if you know what you're talking about because you do have a yearly to uh, twice yearly meetings and, and you know, they set, they set goals for your child and what he needs to work on and he or she. And, um, you know, we were having a lot of behavioral issues last year and this was one of those rigid periods and um, we asked for an aid and we actually were able to get an aid that is a one-on-one -on -one aid with Maxim in a special class, which is harder. Yeah. Wow. But um, now that we have that aid and Maxim continues to progress, it, it's really good to have that aid. So as he transitions into different um, mainstream classes, because the goal for every child it you know, by the school district, if you will, is to try to mainstream them so that they can be in the most um, neurotypical classroom environment with whatever support they need. And so he will go to those classes with his aid and they will help him in whatever task he needs to do. And very recently we've had the discussion um, with whether or not being in that mainstream class, does it, does it help him from a, a peer standpoint to kind of pressure him into behaving properly. Because if you go and sit in the class, and I've observed him sometimes, because these are just things that you don't even know happen, you know, he makes noise, he gets up out of his chair, you know, he does all these things, he t you know, that you don't even know he's doing, but you imagine, wow, okay, in a full days of class, he's up and down all the time, as are other children. So in a regular classroom, they have a little bit more conformity, perhaps. And so far, that's not stressing him out, so it's a good thing for him. Mm-hmm. But it could also be a very stressful thing for kids. Right. Yeah. He would probably do better in, in a class where they 
they have more of a relaxed style where the kids can like sit and bounce on balls or stand up. Right, and a lot of kids, ha- a lot of classes have that. They do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not and he, I think we had some sort of cushion that he sat on in, in second and third grade that was good for fidgeting. He's not much of a fidgeter. He never used a fidget spinner. But yes, all of those accommodations are available to kids of all needs and. You know, it's just the teachers are overrun and they can't always probably say, you know what, your kid needs a ball and you need to write that into their individual education plan, you know, or, and they try to, of course, but. Yeah, it's yeah. tough. Yeah. yeah, but, you know, that's what the classroom setting is like. He has an aide and then there are other aides there too that are there on the playground. They're there because they do P, uh, PE and um, regular um, breaks with the regular okay. classes. Okay, that's good though. That's yeah. good. Then they get to see, like you say, a more normal And I don't think that the school he goes to has a severe class. Um, you know, the district probably tries to hone in on those services in one or two schools. That makes sense. And the kids go to that school for that. Mm-hmm. So if he were to require more, he would have to go to a different school. So tell me about some of the things that you do for him, say with diet or medicine or supplements or things that you feel are helpful sure well there's a lot of different groups out there and myself being a physician you know of course I wanted to read what I could and um, you know try to pick something that seemed reasonable and middle of the road I certainly didn't want him to go on medication early if, if I didn't need to and if you if you go strictly by Western medicine pediatrician um, you know, American Pediatric Academy, the studies about gluten-free and milk-free don't support, per se, every kid going on that. But early on, I um, decided to make him gluten-free and and cow milk-free. Only actually I noticed that he would, he was probably more sluggish. He'd fall asleep in his high chair, and I'm like, oh, that's interesting, but maybe eating spaghetti. Now, I don't know if that's the case or not. Um, And then milk would make him hyper. So I, you know, he's been gluten-free and milk-free for years now. Um, I'll let him have some mozzarella on a gluten-free pizza and that doesn't really mess with him. And the good news is there's so many amazing things that you can find. He's a really good eater. He is not, I mean, he's not picky in the sense of some kids. I mean, he eats fruits and vegetables, nuts, guacamole. He eats all sorts of good things. It does. So I can actually feed him good stuff. So he has been on that type of diet. And for me, the take on that is I think the more consistent anybody's diet is, my diet, your diet, the more predictable and better your body feels. It's very predictable for your body to feel a certain way if you're putting good things in it and you're not, you know, eating a bunch of sugar and all these other things. So I kind of look at it that way. Mm -hmm. The, the more regular the diet is, the same types of foods, snacks, the better he, he does. Um, my pediatrician, I love my pediatrician, uh, but he is not an autism expert. And we have since not seen the neurologist in a few years because I, you know, it was more just like a once a year check-in and what are you doing? And so I, uh, then I went to a different autism specialist group to try to get in to see their physicians and it was a year wait list just to have an evaluation and and they said well you can see one of our psychiatry autism specialists first to get in sooner and I had sent all the information over and this was when Max was having some behavioral issues and um, mood mood um, 
control of his mood, if you will. They call it emotional regulation. And um, like within a couple of minutes, she's like, well, let's just put him on Prozac. And I'm like, really? Like, I just met you and you don't even know my child. So, and again, Prozac's a fine drug. And in fact, it will, you know, the pediatrician told me about 50% of kids with autism end up on an antidepressant or anti-anxiety med at some point in their life. And 50% need focus meds, like an ADD kind of drug. So I thought, okay, well, okay, I'll just keep that in my brain because when he's a teenager, he might need something. Um, But right now, I really didn't want to do that. And so I did more reading, and um, we found an integrative pediatrician. But not, I didn't want anybody extreme because there are some groups that are super extreme, you know, and you just got to be like, ugh. And I thought, you know what, moderation is the key to everything anyway. It's been the way in my life. So she just helped us... um, look at his biochemistry through some very basic blood tests. And we're talking your basic stuff, your minerals, your zinc, your copper, your calcium, your, you know, this, that, or the other. And she bases her supplement recommendations off of some data from a a Dr. Walsh who did like biochemistry studies in people with ADD and schizophrenia. And turns out that, that a lot of those types of mood things can be mitigated with more balanced um, minerals. Okay. So he just takes supplements. He takes a bunch of supplements in the morning. Nothing that sounds strange. Right. Cod liver oil for omegas because that's where you get the best omegas. Um, he takes a multi. He takes a probiotic for his gut, which is helpful. Um, he takes extra B12. He takes B6. And he is on taurine, which is a brain amino acid. And then he takes something called SAM-E which I asked the doctor recently, what is this? Because <laughs> I just started it, on him, and I, I had missed it the first six months, and he was not on it. And it is kind of a um, supplement that probably acts a little bit like a, a Prozac, okay. is what it turns out to be. But it's and a it, natural supplement. It, well, it's a supplement. You know, okay. whether it's a drug or a supplement, yeah. it does impact their brain yeah. in that serotonin level, okay. which helps with mood. And she says it takes about four months to kick in, and... And I will just say this is the first winter that we haven't had any of those rigid, extreme behaviors. So I don't. I think it's partly that and partly he's getting a little older. He has more insight um, into his own mm-hmm. self. This summer we happened to come um, across autism as a, a word. Uh-huh. And we started talking about the fact that he had autism and the first thing he asked me is, how can I get rid of it? That's hard. I know. And I said, well, it's just the way your brain works. And we just have to, you know, this is why these things happen to you versus other kids. Or these things, did you react this way? And um, so we've worked through that a little bit. But he, the first six months of school, boy, and then he found out this other boy had it. And he was calling him Big Autism Boy. Because they're like really concrete. And they'll just say what's on their mind. And, of course, learning how to temper that and not hurt other people's feelings is a lifelong process, even in someone who right. doesn't think that way. Exactly. So um, he's come a long way. In fact, today I started something for our family because um, I was watching The Secret over the weekend. And it was a little, you know, today I'm grateful for. And every morning I want the boys to write just one word of what they're grateful for to remind them, you know, if you start your day that way, your day's really a different day. And Maxim's first thing on there today was, I am grateful for um, being able to get along in class now. 
which that's was fantastic. so cool. I yeah. mean, that's the first thing that came to him. I thought that was awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. What is, I love that. Yeah. It wasn't like I'm grateful for my dog. It that's was, good because he so, put an intention out there. Yeah. So that that will change his whole day. And he said, my, you know, my 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 interaction with this other boy and this other boy. He goes, I'm grateful that they're they're easier. Yeah, it sounds like he's really insightful and that he's starting to understand things. Yeah. He is, which is helpful. We are lucky. But, you know, there are days where he just gets flung off track and, and boy, we have to circle around that drain for two hours. His big brother um, got mad at him the other day. Um, it was a big brother thing. You know, Maxim accidentally hurt the dog and um, he got yelled at by his big brother and it took him two hours to get out of that funk. And that was hard. And I approached it every way I could, up and down. Yeah. And at one point, I just had to tell the big boys to leave. So that's another interesting thing is how do you prepare your other siblings to be able to, you know, interact with their brother and then their regular kids too. So even though in that conversation when he was getting mad at Max... I kept saying, stop talking. Please don't say another word. But yet the 17-year-old <laughs> couldn't stop. And he triggered a two-hour spiral. And so trying to teach them to take my lead in the confines of them being teenagers and being yeah. teenagers. Well, it sounds like a hard situation to, to be in, I think that, of course, everybody's personality is different, but you seem very calm, you seem very low-key, so that I'm sure that that's a very positive thing. And then what are some of the skills that you have had to learn in dealing with this, and of course, as a family dynamic? Right. So, yeah. So I'm normally, normally, now I am. <laughs> that's where yoga came into play. But, I mean, traditionally, my personality is one of, and I'm still that way, super energetic, can be loud, grew up in a loud family, um, go-getter, not one to, not that I didn't relax, I could relax like the rest of people, but very much like my environment's controlled, this is the schedule, this is the way it's done, this is the way life is, this is what's happening. And so, absolutely, as soon as you have a wrench thrown into your program. Um, and I always say Maxim was a gift. Like I needed to get in touch with my patients, patients internally, get in touch with my calm, being able to completely remain in a quiet and calm state when big brother's screaming at him and Maxim is spiraling. And so two hours of that takes a lot of patience. And so I, um, you know, my husband's still learning that. He hasn't done as much work on that side and I try to do that, but that is a personal journey. The big boys, they I try to have them follow my lead. They are most of the time really good with Maxim and it's really sweet. Um, and their their friends are super good, which is so sweet. You know, they they let him for the most part just come in there with all the teenagers and most of the kids are great. Um, and I would say sometimes my middle son gets more embarrassed. And that's a typical, that's normal. Yeah. And, you know, I try to tell them, you know, this is the way life is going to be for the rest of your life. And so going back to not being able to control everything, well, I had to let go of that. 
and also um, families first. And so that's where those qualities and those values are constantly being reiterated in our home. Mm-hmm. But yoga, I mean, I found yoga, I've always been into fitness and exercising, which has always been my outlet anyways. Um, and I don't know, I don't know what brought me. It's funny. You wish, I wish I knew, right? What was that first day that made me go to a hot yoga class? I don't remember, but I know that I like the heat and I know that my back was really bugging me. And I figured, well, good, I can do some stretching in the heat, which I like. And I like walked out of my first hot yoga class and it was like a revelation. Wow. I just, you know, you sweat so much. I tease it's like your body's crying. It sounds like it was life changing. Mm-hmm. So I practiced a couple days a week. And then I started going on a challenge where you go every day. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So now it's like when something you crave. If you fall in love with it, you crave it. And it's not about the workout, although that's pretty awesome. But it's it's interesting. It's truly about like getting in touch with that part of yourself that allows you to turn off a little bit and let go of every expectation because that like hours just for you. So that's where that comes from. So I'm trying to teach the boys how to get in touch with that in lots of different ways, how to let go, how to, you know, not so focused on every little thing. Um, and then I decided to do the teacher training because it was a deeper dive into yoga. And, and I used to teach fitness. I taught aerobics and, you know, sculpt and kickboxing 20 years ago. So it was sort of a natural full circle. So um, it was nine weekends of, it was a lot, 200 hours. I was gone every weekend for nine weekends um, at the studio with a group of people I knew but didn't know. And we, it was just workshops and it was life changing and um, being able to teach. And not everybody came out of there wanting to teach. For me, it's just giving that love back because mm-hmm. you realize everybody who walks in that door has a story. Yeah. And so you just kind of, you know, giving back. That's nice. So it helped you ground you. Completely. And it helped you center you. Find the calm. Assume, help you probably med- it's kind of like a meditation, isn't it's it? It's a moving meditation. That's yeah. how we kind of talk about mm-hmm. it. So in the reason why I do the hot, the heat versus other yoga, because yoga, there's so many types of yoga. And really, yoga is not just the poses, right? And do this and do that. It's really about getting in touch with the breath and then allowing that to translate into other parts of your life, how you practice your life, you know, how you, um, you know, let small things go and you have to focus on one thing and you can, I can now be quiet in a room that is completely bonsai and chaotic (laughs) and just sort of tune out. And that's helpful in in my home life. It's helpful when I'm in surgery, when I'm taking care of patients and sometimes I'll get in super stressful situations even at home and I can feel like that anxious feeling coming up the my throat and I'm like oh gosh I gotta figure out how to temper this you know so that's where it's helped me and I'm teaching maxim yoga because that um, that breath control is a good calming for anybody and so we use that a lot he doesn't want to hear it sometimes but I'm like let's find our breath you know that's so good yeah and the big boys too my oldest comes to hot yoga too that's so cool yeah it's cool. So neat. And then, yeah, I could see that evolving to having like an autism class. Absolutely. So I would dream of that. 
Maxim used to go to a gym that just did like gymnastics for kids who had special needs and and he misses it sometimes just the timing didn't work out and the level of kids in there wasn't quite right but yes like wouldn't it be amazing to be able to teach yoga to parents at the same time in a dual room somebody's helping their children or together just like baby mommy yoga you know you could do it with your child and you teach each other and and you know for all ends of the spectrum it would be more disturbing of course with one child versus another but the goal is to teach them whatever you can yeah it's being in an environment for parents who have autistic children or children that have any kind of learning disability to be in an environment like that where everybody's understanding. Yeah. Because you, it'd be hard to try and do that mainstream. It would. Yes. You know, there are support groups. I've never gone to one because... Um, well, you're busy. Well, that... And I, I, I've been invited. There's one at Saddleback Church, and I love the family who, uh, as well who goes there. Um, but... I, I kind of don't want to hear about other people's stories. It sounds terrible because I'm still in the thick of mine, you know? So I have friends whose children have autism and going individually and talking with them helps me more yeah. than sitting in a circle. Um, yeah. I don't know. That's just the way Each I can own. process, right. you know? But there's lots of support groups out there. And so, yes, reaching out to a group like that and being able to offer yoga to a group like that yeah. of moms or something would be a good step. Um and, you know, in a way, people, it's hard because there's so many causes to be aware of. And, oh, my God, well, I know five people whose kids have autism. And I hear that all the time. And so to not be also numb to that diagnosis because every child is really different. And you don't really know what people are going through. That's why I sometimes will put those um, videos on Facebook yeah. about the spirals and the tantrums and the things. Because I think you know, you don't really know what people are going through. That's mm-hmm. so true. And, you know, we have a friend whose child is more affected than my child. And we don't know what her life is like either. Right. And it's not easy because her child is not as high-functioning. And perhaps, you know, that is easier in a way because you kind of know what you're going to be dealing with. But on the other hand, then, you know, there's... Then, then that's what you're going to be dealing with. So yeah. I think that's, you know... That's a that's an interesting question right there. So, to ask you when, I mean, I know he's doing really well, but say throughout the day, mm. what would what would be like a typical day like, and what would be some of the issues that you have to deal with, and then that come up, and sure. then how are you kind of dealing with them? Right. Um, so, like early on, we had the visual schedule, which was really a good way. It was it was basically I had little pictures of things with laminate and, and once he did his task he would take it off and put it in the baggie and so brush your teeth so literally from the moment he wakes up he now is in a routine that he he brushes his teeth gets dressed comes downstairs that alone could take some families two hours so he now it's funny because he won't go downstairs without brushing his teeth because that is part of the morning routine so it's funny on the weekends I'm like let's stay in our pajamas <laughs> And so that's like breaking the routine so he's not so rigid, right? Um, 
So this morning we go downstairs and I'm always up early to make his breakfast and his supplements and get everything ready or my husband will do that. And we've moved from smoothies to yogurt. We go back and forth because a lot of his stuff's powder. So we have to put it in something because he doesn't swallow pills yet. Um, and, you know, he, I think dad said something to him this morning, for example, that tipped him off and he was like, well, dads are horrible. And he, and he just wouldn't get out of that funk. And so I had to get him back to the, to the table. So unfortunately I'm right now the more experienced one in the house. Um, and so I try to mitigate so he doesn't get really out of control, although he doesn't lose it very often. Thank goodness, because that's hard, you know, but yes, your entire life is set up. And everything is predictable and I carry a bag of tricks with me everywhere I go. An iPad, snacks, you know, he doesn't like to color so that doesn't work. Some Legos, you know, whatever. So I'm always prepared mm -hmm. for stuff. And you also have to be prepared to leave. I used to, I, we grew up in a family where like we'd go to a party and we would, as kids, we would all be in one room and your parents would be there like, we're staying here for 10 hours, right? That's like not how it is. If I walked into a party and my child was having trouble and this was somebody's important birthday, I would have to be prepared to leave because it's much easier on your life to not necessarily push that. And you, you learn when you're gonna push it. You're like, no, we're staying, we're doing this, you know? Um, so, you know, Max will get up, he'll eat breakfast. Um, he's already dressed, he's already brushed his teeth. So now it's just trying to get him to get it down and take the vitamins. Like, that's all we do. And we only give ourselves an hour in the morning, you know, and we're out the door. And he's really pretty good. But it's a lot of repetition, which could, you know, get really... But then at some point, he's like, stop talking. Like, I've, I've, I've said it too much. He'll tell you that. Stop talking. Or, and then there's a lot of things we call front-loading. So front-loading is like telling you what's going to happen in the next 30 minutes. And also, don't forget halfway through the day this is going to happen and oh by the way at the end of the day this is going to happen and we do that all day so he'll go to school um and then after school he gets picked up and he comes home right away and has a snack and does his homework and now he does his homework by himself which is good and if he needs help he gets help from us and I have to push him a little bit to write sentences after reading and he gets two days a week we have a therapist come here Okay. And work with him for two two hours, I think now. Oh, it used I to be get him out. it used to be three hours, three days a week, nine hours plus three hours on the Saturday. And is this through insurance? It is through insurance. Oh, that's yeah. good. And that's the behavioral therapy. And what do you mean behavioral therapy? Well, he works on lots of different concepts. He works on um, sitting at the table to be able to do your homework and not getting up and doing that. He works on. Um, just having a conversation, like asking questions and trying to get, you know, that back and forth conversation is something that is still not quite there. He can probably do several exchanges with you if you're talking about something he likes. Yeah. If you're not talking about something he likes, he's not going to have a conversation with, he will not ask you, tell me more about that right. or, oh wow, you know, that's not what happens. So that's constant um, development. Um, and then, you know, he goes to Cub Scouts, which there's a lot of kids in Cub Scouts on the spectrum. So it's a nice structure for them and they can learn the values of Cub Scouts, which are really good life values. Yeah. So that's a good, and there's a, they love being outdoors for some reason. Maxim does anyways. Outdoors is great. I think because the noise just disperses, right? Um, 
and then he goes to bed very easily, story to bed. So we are we are very lucky in that sense. But that is a typical day, and it just goes like that every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know we're at the point now where I can say like, okay, don't forget tonight we are going to so and so for dinner. You know, um, Maxim's on a credit system, which is a way of positively reinforcing behavior. In fact, all my kids are on it. It's the way they earn money. Um, but that took a while to set up. I, I listened to an audiobook called The Nurtured Heart, which came from my integrative pediatrician. And it's a behavioral book that can be applied to any kid. It's called um, Transforming the Difficult Child, is what it is. And any difficult child. It's not even just a kid on any sort of de- uh, development. For every or, child. <laughs> any, any child. Yeah. And I'm telling you so that, it, you know, I said a list of, Things that he can earn credits for and you don't take away credits but they have to spend the credits on things they want so every single privilege is earned I couldn't put all his toys away so I couldn't do that but mostly for him it's an electronic thing so he has to pay for his iPad the big boys have to pay for their phone usage um, they have to pay for their outings and Maxim earns credits um, at home by doing little chores and having a good a positive attitude coming out of a if he took a took a timeout which we don't use that term if he needed to do a let it go like he had to go sit and let it go he actually gets credit for that because he dealt with it properly so now at school he goes to school with a check sheet which is my check sheet and his aide will check him off multiple times a day I mean things on there like did not hit did not throw used his language properly had self-control um, lined up properly, left school calmly, and he gets checks for all that. And at the end of the day, every day we go through that and we count it, and he gets credits. And just yesterday, he turned in twelve thousand credits, and he got a hundred and twenty dollars worth of Legos. Isn't that fantastic? I yeah. love that. So he knows money, mm-hmm. and the big boys. So it's exactly equal to money for them. For example, five hundred credits is five bucks. So I had to temper what they could earn for five bucks. Yeah. Right? It's like. You need to do something good for five bucks. So babysitting, they get credit. And just yesterday, Lucas, you know, turned in his money for 20 bucks. I love it. Yeah. So that's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. I, I need to learn that from you. It's good. It's a good credit system for anybody. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And okay. So as the family dynamic and your boys, what do your, your boys have a hard time with? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, if, if they're being typical teenagers and they're grumpy, they're going to have much less tolerance, just like I will or Teddy. Sometimes Ted and I have to do time, like take tag outs, right? Like I'm like, you're it, you know, like I really need to leave. And I've done that before. Sometimes my oldest will, um, he'll tag me out. I'm like, can you hang with your brother? I need to go, you know. And Maxim's really independent, but I don't like him to play by himself all the time. So I probably ask a lot of them. I'm like, I need you to spend 15 minutes, which is not a lot, but it means a lot to me, to Max. Can you go spend 15 minutes one-on-one with him? Mm-hmm. So I probably demand that mm-hmm. of them quite a bit, but you know, they get a lot of freedom. Um, it means that they, you know, can't have certain games in the room that they would want to have. They can't say bad words. Well, none of us say bad words in the house. Um, we don't raise our voices, you know, as much as we can. So What's all all positive life skills to learn that are fantastic. That are help with any yeah. family. Yeah. I really think like it makes our life so much easier. 
but you know sometimes they don't want to deal with it and they're like you know they'll they will not follow my cue and they will push that button too far and then their brother has a meltdown yeah and that's what you got to do but from what I've ever seen of them they're so good with him they're so kind they play with him they do yeah they like that and they they play the typical kid stuff like swords and nerf guns and they love that yeah and and they're really good and sometimes um, you know they they have different strengths, you know. So one is more on the computer side and the other one's more the action with him. And so I'm glad that they, and they both babysit him. Yeah. And we feel comfortable now leaving. Yeah. And very safe that they'll take good care of him. That's So safe. that's really nice. Yeah, that's really great. <laughs> I mean, um, I just bought a year membership to Big Air for my oldest son and Max because that's something they can do together. Aww. And um, he loves going in the dodgeball pit with his big brother. And so they go and do that. And, and so and he'll get credit for taking him. Yeah. Which, which means he gets paid for taking him if he turns it in. So, yeah, you know. That's fantastic. And it would be interesting to interview them and see what they think. No kidding. Yeah. That, I mean, just living in that environment is amazing. All right. So tell me some of the positives that you would say having an autistic child has been for you guys. I mean, the positive thing is that you cannot control everything in life. And if you're someone who was on that path, you realize you do have to sort of take your life moment by moment, which is a really good positive thing. And you celebrate the victories more often and the little joys and trying to not focus on the negatives, which I think is really positive. I don't think that everybody gets there that easily. Um, I think yoga helps a lot, and that's why I continue to practice that, because it's a constant reminder, like you need to practice doing this in your life with your family. Um, and I would say that it probably drives a lot of families apart, but we, we are still close-knit, so thank goodness for that. Yeah. You know, um, it's hard on marriages for sure, as is many other things. But, you know, having a child that demands so much attention, I would say um, other positives. Um, just those things that if you're open to it, you can see the positives. You have to really find them and then celebrate those, I would say. Mm -hmm. Being more patient is one of the positives for me, for sure. I feel like... Learning how to control diffusing the situation and teaching him that and for you to learning to calm yourself. That yeah. sounds like a big one. Yeah. And I think for the, the big boys, um, I think that they are so much better equipped to deal with difficult people because they know how to sometimes deal with really difficult, you know, younger brother. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the downsides is, is they don't always want to have to deal with that and yeah. it can be embarrassing and, you know, it's tiresome and it's annoying because it's a lot of work. Yeah, it sounds like it's, it takes a lot of energy and it drain, can drain you. It can, um, but hopefully you get some little, you know, little growth and yeah. development and then it's like you smooth sail for a while and then yeah. you get some challenges and you, sail, you smooth sail again. Yeah, that makes sense. Can you think of some interesting or fun stories that you you have to share there's there's so many funny things I mean just funny things that my son with autism says I have this book called my quotable kid and I write down things that the kids say that are hilarious 
and you and and most of them are from him and I should probably go get it and read some to that you because they're really funny and I would I won't remember them so I could go yeah, grab it we'll do that but um, um, some stories I think if we get that, uh, it'll prompt oh, some stories. Yeah. Okay. And then, um, so we, I can tell, like, I'll come back to that. So what action items do you recommend for parents of a child with autism? So I would say that you need to be on the same page or get your team in place because it's you can't do everything yourself. So if you don't have a pediatrician, that gives you the right referrals you you def and you already have the diagnosis hopefully being in conjunction with your school is probably the best thing so you know really being on top of what they're doing for him in the school is important and there's there's legal things I don't know anything about I just know that I know as much as I know about his behavior and I'm on top of his behavior at home which helps at school so you know being um being aware of what your rights are at the school is important and that's all available online being in line with his goals at his independent education plan meetings and knowing that you can call an emergency meeting anytime and the principal the teachers the aides all of those people uh, the therapists they're all involved and you know it's don't be afraid to ask so action items so school get that aligned regional center get that aligned and don't let go of that because that's something I need to realign um, you know try to read when you can and just read with um, read with openness but also discerning eyes like not everything you read is 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 true right um, and may not work for your kid and just keep searching um, get a good behavioral therapist, I would say that you have to have behavioral therapy. That is so key to everything. Behavioral therapy is key. And you know, if your child's on medication, make sure you learn about that medication and, and why are they taking it and you know, what are the side effects? And mm -hmm. if it's helping, great, stay on it. But just know that, you know, are there times where it might be reasonable to go off of it or um, is, is there, um, is there a time when you might grow out of a certain behavior and should you test every year whether or not somebody needs to be on medication? It's just like any medication. Do you need to be on it or not? Yeah. And, and again, I'm open to that if it needs to be done. I'm just trying to exhaust all measures from all avenues. Yeah. You know, nutrition, medical, you know, behavior, school, yeah. home. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot it's on a plate mm -hmm. for a family and a parent. Um, what would you like the world to know about your son? Mm. I always say he is a beautiful boy that has blue eyes that just happens to have autism. <laughs> That's sweet. Yeah, he's 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 pretty. He's cool, and he's sweet, and he's he's gifted. Find their gift. He can memorize anything, and he will regurgitate it. Well, he used to do that. He was a scripter. That's actually one of his. So we didn't talk anything about stimulating behavior, but stims are behaviors that kids with autism use to typically distract or calm themselves down. So for example, flapping is a big one when they're little or walking on their toes or covering their ears and rocking. Those are all stims. Those are ways to calm down. A lot of us play with a necklace or twist our hair. That's a stim. 
um, Matt, one of Maxim's stims was, and he hardly does it anymore, but it was for a good two years because he didn't have language, is he would, um, what we call movie talk, he would recite movies and books that he had watched or read, and he would do it all day. And it was a, partly a way to cut out the noise, but it was also a way to entertain himself. And he doesn't do it much anymore because he has maybe other behaviors. Now one of his stims is he paces a little bit, but he doesn't really do much else. So stims are just ways they calm themselves down. Um, and I follow a gal on um, YouTube and Instagram who's a girl who lives in England, who's an adult now, who has a, a vlog and a video thing on autism. And she talks about stims. And I love watching adult people with autism talk to people about their autism because she has really good insight and she talks a lot about stims. Yeah. Um, and so uh, he doesn't script much anymore, but he paces. And so, but... I realized that his stim was a gift because he was able to memorize things. So just the other day, we were with this therapist and we were talking about getting his flu shot. And um, Maxim is very good about going to the doctors. And even though he has to get shots, we can kind of get through it pretty easily. He has to get blood draws sometimes too. And we talk about it and he really wants to know the details so that he can like process it. And the therapist is like, oh, so did you get your flu shot? And he's like, yeah. And and he, and he said, yeah, he went to Target. And he's like, oh, really? And um, he goes, he goes, yeah, it was on Tuesday, November 26th. And I'm like, oh, really? I go, what were you wearing? And he goes, my octopus shirt. So he knows things or remembers things that you and I don't remember. And that blows my mind. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's kind of crazy. So... Yeah, it's, it's fun to see, like you say, what are his talents, what are his passions. Yeah. And we're trying to, he loves animals, and I figured, you know, kids with autism fixate on something sometimes. Mm -hmm. Weather, trains, he had a big train thing for a while. Um, animals, so I figured animals is a nice way to, a nice skill, interest, whatever to develop, because it could turn into something he could do as a career. And not like a veterinarian, but truly take care of animals. So... We follow zookeepers, and he did a zookeeper camp over the summer where he was at the reptiles of in Costa Mesa, and he was there for a whole week, and he got to feed animals and hold snakes and lizards, and and so I'm going to foster that as um, something. And he the other day somebody said, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" And he goes, "Well, probably first I'm going to be a zookeeper, which means there's something else That's he wants good. to do." <laughs> so I thought that was interesting. That's really good. Yeah, I know because we we say that to kids all the time. And yet, I like that because the answer, because in reality, you're going to be more than one thing. Right. You know? And I love that John Lennon quote when they asked him in school what he wanted to be when he grew up, and he said, be happy. Yeah. And they said, you didn't understand the assignment, and John Lennon said, you don't understand life. As a kid, is that amazing? Yes. I That's love beautiful. that. It's really cool. Mm -hmm. I like that. Yeah. It's pretty good. Uh, good point. All right. Well, I'm going to ask you one more question, and okay. then you could get that quote book. That'd be really see if there's something to, fun in there. Share. Yeah. So, what do you feel that humanity needs to work on to make this world a better place? Wow, that's a good, big, loaded question. If I were running for president someday, <laughs> um, I mean, I think that that answer is you know sort of obvious. The question is, can we ever get there? I feel like our tolerance and acceptance of differences has come so far, yet 
we're, we still struggle with that so much. And whether it's uh, color of our skin or our sexual orientation or our special needs, um, I feel like to me, you know, we are all human beings and I don't understand why people sort of have to not only put people in a box because that does distinguish our differences, but we have so much more similar to each other than we do have different. Um, but it creates so much turmoil and stress pointing out those differences and also trying to be the better whatever. So I feel like, you know, just sort of choosing to be, um, open and accepting and tolerant is really what we all need. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fantastic explanation, and I agree. <laughs> thank, thank you. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. I don't know if you want to grab his little quote book. That'd be so cute. Let me see if there's something funny. I know there's some fun. I think that's such a great idea. I think almost every parent should do that. It's, it's so fun. I need to write it more, but sometimes like you like hear them say something, and you're like, oh my gosh, write that down. And the big boys say some silly, funny stuff. Oh my gosh, this is hilarious. He was eight in the kitchen. He said, I wish I had two heads so I could say two sentences at once. <laughs> he was reading a, a mythical monsters book at breakfast, which was so funny. And then when we had a lot of discussions about his behavior, he said in a really deep voice, you know, when you are older, it's easier to control your behavior. Talking about having so e true. having easy days. Yeah. We were saying how how he's having easy days. So um, we were talking about not having taken his vitamin smoothie, and he told me his tongue was not interested. <laughs> That's so cute. No, honey, my tongue was not interested. Well, that's very true. And then this one's funny. Maxim was describing something Italian, and he called it Italy-ish, which was so cute. So he just, it's very, some of the stuff is literal, you know? Yeah, I would think that his conversations are quite different. Like, the words and the way he thinks comes out different from... It's awesome. It's words. actually just very, it's very sort of concrete, and uh -huh. it's pretty cool. So... How sweet. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. That's going to help so many people. Oh, good. I'm glad.